Hello there, and welcome back to Season 2 of Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your insider and your former unwilling cultist, Jared Garrett. I am here to tell you stories and to convince you to never, no never, well, not even hardly ever, join a cult. Cults are bad, guys. There is no cult that is okay. Not even one of them. Because cults are negative in every way. This right here is Season 2. It is overall episode 36. It is called The Promenade and Easing In and Out. Now, that might sound like this might be about a dance. My friends, it's not. Although, in sort of a metaphorical kind of simile type of thing, you could it could be a dance sort of thing. But it's really more about some steps and some changes that started to come over uh, the Dallas branch of the cult, which is where all the kids were, as you, I've mentioned several times, and uh, kind of the way the kids behaved. Uh, and uh, a lot of the, what I've talked to up till now will be helpful for context, and I'll review some of that here in just a second. But here is my normal intro, just to catch everybody up, your quick recap. I was born and raised in a cult. A real-life commune and cult, of course. It started out in the 60s as an offshoot of Scientology called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and it was one of the more sort of infamous cults in the UK and later in the USA for a little while. Uh, when I was born, around when I was born, the cult broke apart into those dedicated to the process, so to speak, and those who made a new culty commune called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium. This was following Marianne McLean, the uh, crazy lady who had been running the original with her husband, Robert de Grimston. But Robert de Grimston took off. Uh, maybe he was kicked out. Maybe he'd been really unfaithful, which that's pretty confirmed. And Marianne was sick of him. So anyway, Marianne took over a new one called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium. It evolved over the years, finally morphed into Best Friends Animal say Society. It was sanctuary, now it's society. I'm here to tell you about being a kid in this somewhat strange and fairly secretive religious commune. Partly because the story our stories that I want to tell. I want to tell you guys all about this stuff, but also um, for a while I've had some anger to work through. I think I'm mostly worked through on that anger now. Um, fairly chill. I often pray for the gift of forgiveness to make sure I don't carry around bitterness and resentment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to, to see, you know, if anything sparks, uh, you know, a little frustration here and there so I can continue to relieve myself of, um, you know, that bitterness or anger that might still be there. I have no interest in letting that experience and those uh, folks have uh, residence in my head without paying any kind of rent, so off we go, evicting. Now, as always, your questions will be answered uh, and you're welcome to ask. You can contact me at jared at jaredgarrett.com with your comments and questions. Again, as a quick reminder, I do speaking engagements. You can reach me at jared at jaredgarrett.com to chat. I am currently querying my memoir. I've got it out to several agents per my promise. Like I said, I, would, I wouldn't have another episode until I had queried several agents. I have at this time, I think, queried um, eight or nine, maybe as many as ten agents at this point. Uh, I'm going to... I was going to query tonight, but I'm tired, so I'm going to record this episode and put it up, and then I'm going to bed. I've been struggling to get enough sleep lately. So um, if you have questions and answers, I, I can answer them here on the podcast. Now, let's get to our episode. But first of all, um, there's only one ad on this one. It's in the middle, so fair warning. It's there. Uh, my sponsors are very helpful. 
they are making it a little more worth it for me to do this. Uh, it would be worth it in and of itself, but it's nice to be able to pay a bill or two with, and it really is just a bill or two for now, and, and that's life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, joining me on this long, long journey, this 36th episode of The Journey. That's like 13 hours of your life plus a little bit because some of these go long. Um, it, I hope you've enjoyed that. You know, I, I know I ramble a lot. I'm going to try to keep things fairly focused today. I don't want to go over a half an hour for sure. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly appreciate those of you who've been sharing uh, and reviewing and um, tagging. Please feel free to tag in, uh, on your Snapchat or Twitter or WhatsApp, if that's still around, or Instagram, or whatever. This podcast, you're welcome to borrow the, the or, or snapshot the, your screenshot, I should say, the artwork, and share it on your Instagram if you want. Um, I'd love that. That'd be really cool. Tag me. I'm just Jared, at Jared.n.garrett on Instagram, and at Jared Garrett on Twitter. So uh, let me know if you do that. That'd be cool to see. It'd be fairly gratifying, especially in a time where I'm not able to do as much creative work as I'd like to do to other priorities. Now, The episode name is kind of funky, The Promenade, Easing In and Out. Well, let me talk to you about this. So you already know, if you've listened to all these episodes, which I'm guessing you probably have if you're this far along, that the Dallas branch became the children's center, essentially. It was also the children's ministry, as I've talked about how, you know, I revealed that deep, dark secret of Bobo the Clown. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's where all the kids ended up. And it was also very financially stable. Uh, they were, wow, they were, they were collecting large amounts of donations from their public fundraising efforts um, and sending those off to the headquarters there at Best Friends in Kanab, just north of Kanab. And um, because of the stability, I guess, they decided they would upgrade their living facilities. And I think I've mentioned this, you know, Dallas Branch moved from a couple of houses on Swiss and uh, one house on Dickinson Avenue and a house, another house deeper down Swiss and stuff up to uh, North Dallas, very near to Richardson, essentially in Richardson, a suburb. And it was fully suburb, right? This was where, um, you know, we were robbed, like I, I mentioned in a couple of episodes ago. Um, so we lived on a street called El Santo. The girls and many of the adults lived on a street called Chattington in a house, big house. And then the rest of the adults lived in a, in a, in a house on a street called uh, La Cabeza. Uh, and, uh, what turned out that when we moved up there, um, our life changed pretty significantly. Um, certainly our quarters were nicer. Uh, my room was nicer, but it was also smaller. The original house we were in there on Dickinson had some very large rooms. It was a bigger house with, with really quite, uh, giant rooms. It seemed like they were made to be uh, bunk rooms or um, ballrooms in a way, almost. I don't know. But these were more family-sized rooms. And so fewer people per room, which I certainly didn't mind. I wound up sharing a room with a kid named Dennis, who was much younger than me. I believe that he... So I was uh, 16 when we moved there. And I I believe uh, Dennis must have been 7 or 8, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 at the most. He was significantly younger. Uh, you know, and and that's fine. I, I generally had privacy because uh, he also wasn't always there. Sometimes he was in um, Las Vegas. In fact, a lot of the time he was in Las Vegas with his with his mother, uh, who I forget her name, which I'm sorry. She was a neat lady, fine, nice lady, more or less, for, in as much as I knew her. Uh, Dennis had been kind of in and out of the cult as far as I know, or just following her, his mom around the different branches because I think he was in um, Denver for a time. Uh, but I believe he was also in Las Vegas for a time. In any case, uh, I found myself almost in my own room uh, for for a while, which was kind of neat. 
Um, but I also was taking responsibility for some amenities and some facility stuff. I was doing all the shopping, the menu planning. I was doing all the cooking and as much as cooking was needed. So, you know, we did have dinner there a lot. Uh, we had breakfast there a lot. I kept us stocked in ramen and other things like that. We, we were well off that we were not short on food at any time at this point. Always had enough to eat. Um, cereal wasn't all that common yet. But, you know, other things were, I mean, I was able to buy Doritos and, again, ramen and stuff. So we, we, were, we were doing all right. Um, and what's more, I don't know uh, what exactly changed in us as, ki- as the kids. But uh, in the first month or two of being there, we, we, we kind of found ourselves be- getting out a little more. Not I don't mean escaping, but I mean like being out a little more. Um, I believe that early on in our time up there, uh, we were taken to a movie at a movie theater called The Promenade. The Promenade, that's right. I think we called it The Promenade back in the day, but I know it's called Promenade. I know better now. And we were older teenagers, you know. I was 16. Um, I wasn't uh, unattractive by any means. Um, And um, it turned out that people our age were staffing The Promenade. Uh, a couple of girls, a bunch of guys. Uh, it was a, quite a thing, you know, for us to sort of strike up a conversation with some of these folks and actually start to make some friends. Uh, that first time we went, and then we kind of we went back, you know, and, and continued our to, to build some friendships. And I, I built a friendship. Now I, I think that I've actually talked about how I turned my uh, my focus skills back on Jason and said, um, or maybe I didn't. I don't know. That I, not, I, I will review it very quickly here in a minute. But uh, the, the promenade became a place where we, we had friends. And then um, there was a blockbuster video not too far that I could get to. And I went to sometimes with my Jason, the British man who was, uh, had a big temper. I would go with his membership card and pick up some videos. I rented um, some kind of wonderful ones. Uh, man, I love that movie. I need to get it on DVD. I love that movie. Uh, great music, fun acting. Elias Codius is in that. He's so much fun. Mary Stuart Masterson and Eric Stoltz. Anyway, um, so we we just found ourselves. It seemed like it seemed like maybe things were pretty stressful for the adults or something. As I kind of look back, because we've we had a little more freedom in a way. Uh, we just found ourselves able to go and do things without having the prying eyes um, that we were used to. And so you know, down at the promenade. We made some friends. I made a friend named Gina. Uh, Gina was my age. Maybe, I think Gina's a little older. I'll have to check. I'll have to reach out to her on Facebook and find out. But she was a cutie. You know, be great, great, sweet, sweet smile. Um, really sweet eyes. Just a just a, a nice young lady. I I, I got all, I got along with her really well, and uh, as was my want, formed a bit of a crush. Uh, and uh, there was Zara. I believe she worked there for a time, but I don't think she was there for all that long while we were coming in there. And um, she was attractive too, um, and then there was Todd. I think I mentioned him in Echo in a, in a previous uh, episode, and they just became good friends. They were our peers, you know, and uh, that was kind of cool to have those friends. And then over at Blockbuster, there was uh, some other weirdos that we kind of got along with, and especially Vanessa, a couple of years my junior, uh, hung out with some of those. A guy at a bookstore named Mike McCracken. She actually started dating him. She would sneak out. And date him. And that's where the next part of the story is. So I made friends with folks at the promenade. And to just recap a story that I thought I told, but maybe I didn't. I think I did, though. Um, Or maybe that was in, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that was in in an episode. Anyway, so um, 
I, I uh, went down to the promenade one night. I left Chattington. I was on my bike. Chattington is the house where the girls lived and some of the adults, in, including especially the, 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 the branch leaders, went down to the promenade and uh, wound up in a conversation and lost track of time. I knew I, didn't, I shouldn't have been there very long, but I lost track of time. And the phone rang and Johanna, Vanessa's younger sister, uh, also daughter of Lucia and Jason, the leaders of that branch, I was calling and saying they were looking for me because I was supposed to have been at uh, El Santo, the house that I that the boys lived in. And I was like, oh, crap. So I jumped on my bike and took off and uh, zoomed up uh, across the parking lot, across the street and up the alley and hung a right uh, to go down. Um, I crossed throughout, uh, past Chattington and was heading toward El Santo. And then uh, not long after I headed down on the road and I was approaching El Santo, I saw a van or at least a large vehicle's headlights turned onto the road behind me, and I knew immediately, intuitively, that was the big van that we had, and Jason was in that van driving around looking for me. And so that was terrifying. But I decided that I would try a thing, and so as soon as I got to El Santo, I I didn't speed up, I didn't try to hide, I just kind of casually moseyed my way, slowed down actually, uh, and um, nonchalantly pulled into the El Santo the alley behind it and rode into the driveway of the house, which was behind the house, opened the gate and started navigating my bike through, got through a few feet in and the van screeched in. Jason rumbled out of the car and yelled, Jared. And uh, I was like, um, yeah. And he said, what are you doing? We've been looking for you. And I'm like, well, that wasn't his accent. Did he talk like this, more like this, right? Very Jared. Anyway. So, um, I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean? And he was very angry and yelled at me about how I'd been out for, I'd been gone forever. And I'm like, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Um, shoot, what time is it? And he told me and it, I'd been gone for an hour. And uh, it's like, oh, shoot, I, I didn't realize that, Jason. I'm so sorry. I, I just, you know, I kind of moseyed around. I was just lost in thought, riding around. Um, I'm really sorry, though. I, I understand why that would make you so angry. I apologize. You know, and so I totally took control of the conversation like I'd been taught in focus class, lied like a maniac, like a professional, and got out of it. You know, I gave him exactly what he wanted to hear. You know, me being, you know, um, respecting his authority, I guess, and give, telling him what he wanted to hear. Respect and, you know, remorse and crap. I'm just lying through my teeth. Um, and I got out of it. No worries. He's like, well, don't let it happen again. And that was that. And then he drove and he got off, got in the van and drove away. So that's fun. Um, but, uh, you know, so these two houses were quite close, so we could actually bike back and forth, whereas in the original houses at Dallas, we couldn't. They were several miles apart, uh, and we didn't, we, we didn't really hang out as much. So I started hanging out with those girls more and really getting along with them more, um, the girls in the cult, Asta, Vanessa, Johanna, um, Ananda, Alicia. Um, they, they were quality people with fun imaginations and lots of interests, uh, and Vanessa started to hang out with this Mike boy, and so we covered for them. You know, we'd, we'd make sure that uh, if anybody asked where Vanessa was, we'd say, oh, I think she's just gone to bed or, oh, I just saw her or something, you know, when she was actually out with Mike. Boy, she would stay out all, you know, all hours, really, really late. She had some bad scares because she, she was making tr- terrible choices. Um, uh, many, many of us started to do that. I, I myself did not. Uh, but uh, that's probably more out of fear uh, of getting involved in those situations than it. Because I certainly had a desire. I was a randy 16-year-old, right? So anyway, um, we started to cover for each other, and that was nice. Um, And uh, this is where I have to pause, and then I'll talk uh, about a few more stories. And um, that will be it for the episode.
So, I mean, as I've mentioned in, in, in just two, two or three episodes ago, we were robbed, you know, and that was after a party that I talked about. Um, there was just more freedom. It seemed like um, Lucia maybe wanted either to have us feel like we were more normal and maybe look like we were more normal. Or maybe she wanted us to get a taste for what how bad the world was so that we could say, oh, yeah, for sure, stay in the cult. Um, I, I really don't know the motivation, but it was certainly a surprise to not have quite as much uh, iron hand over us and to have weird amounts of permissiveness, not just neglectful, we can do whatever we want, but actual allowed, we can do a few things that we prefer, which is why I was able to go, you know, to a lake with swans that had swans with Asta and Vanessa, and we would listen to music and read poetry to each other and have great conversations and a picnic. And I would use my, uh, my, my jacket, I'm making this motion, and spin it in this noisy circle to keep the, the aggressive swans away. Which, yeah, aggressive swans are terrifying, guys. Ooh, they will kill you. Uh, it's a bit like those ostriches in Jumanji, the, the next level. Ooh, they were scary. Anyway, we'd listen to Ennio Morricone, uh, that great mission soundtrack down there. It was, it was great. Uh, other things we got to do, uh, we watched some more movies. You know, I, I watched uh, Monty Python live at the Hollywood Bowl first in the living room of, El uh, of Chattington. Um, boy, what a what a funny, funny movie uh, show that was. Uh, listen, uh, somehow we wound up with a, a turntable, a record player uh, at El Santo. I think it might have been John's, John Vermeulen, who I'm friends with on Facebook now. And uh, he, I think it might, it might have been his or maybe it was Jonathan's. I don't know. It was older, but it worked great. It had, you know, a, a, mod, a tuner below it to, to, you know, make give us the actual sound. Uh, and I bought uh, several records, had some really good ones. I had uh, Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf and listened to the reflex on that and that song itself, Hungry Like a Wolf, several other great songs. Man, I have great memories of jacking that volume up and listening to, to some Duran Duran. I still love Duran Duran. You come at me. Duran Duran was rad. Um, always been a big fan. And uh, let's see, other fun things. Uh, I, I have very bright memories of, uh, vivid memories of sitting in the kind of softer chair next to the turntable record area, a uh, record player. Uh, and that's where the phone was. And um, actually talking to my mother and my father for my birthday or my Christmas call uh, and wound up talking to Leonora a couple of times on that phone. Uh, and for some reason, I don't think I ever was able to talk to, uh, Sharon, the Scottish chick on that phone. I, I think I had to be sneaking around at Chattington for some reason for that to work out, but that was weird. I don't know why that would be the case. Um, it was at La Cabeza, the, the adult house where many of the adults lived, most of the adults, they had a pool. That's where I learned to dive off a diving board. I spent most of a summer, um, actually jumping off that diving board and diving, uh, honing my form. Um, and stuff like that. I spent, uh, you know, the, the whole year and a bit that we lived at El Santo, I, I had set up my weights, my punch, my big heavy training bag, um, and all the other accoutrements of my training and uh, worked out in that garage every night, just about every night, really, um, back before Netflix and Hulu and stuff. I was exercising and jamming out to music, and then I'd go back into the, uh, the house and I'd read. You know, I'd take a shower and I'd read um, in bed. And sometimes I would do one of the dumbest things I ever tried to do. That was during the Scottish chick time. I would uh, record a tape. You know, you could put, back in the day, you could get these cassette tapes, right? You could put a piece of tape over the, this one end, and then you could press record, and you could record over a fully, you know, already recorded tape. Um, and I had a tape that like that that I didn't really care about, and so I covered it up with tape, 
and started to with Scottish Scotch tape, not Scottish tape. Haha. And I recorded everything I remembered about Sharon, described her, described some of the fun experiences we'd had in the short time we could interact, and just said her name over and over again. And then I played it on my Walkman and later on my boombox that was plugged in um, through headphones on my head while I was going to sleep because I was trying to dream about her. Um, my friends, that never worked. Um, <coughs> I'm not entirely certain of why, but uh, yeah, that never worked. But I'm a total goofball. Um, in my room, I had purchased a uh, CD player some years before while we still lived in Dixie, maybe a couple years at the most before. Uh, CD player. It was the size of, it was bigger than our Blu-ray and DVD players are today. Um, it's like bigger than a laptop and uh, had that uh, in my room as well. And uh, some pretty good speakers that I'd picked up at like a, a, a like a thrift shop of some kind, I think, and hooked them up. It's the kind of speakers where some of you guys are not going to know what I'm talking about. You, you would uh, strip the ends of the wire and then you'd put them in these clips um, in the back of like the, the tuner or, or something. Uh, and that's how you got sound. That was fun. Um, maybe it was the other way around in any case. Yeah. You'd have to kind of figure out how you set up your sound system and sound systems were a thing back then. You know, it's not just you dock your phone and have a Bose speaker or some other Bluetooth, whatever you had to figure out your sound system and get some good woofers and some, I guess you can still do woofers anyway. So, um, I had that set up in my room so I could turn my music really loud. Uh, so my Survivor, my uh, Journey, my Van Halen, um, Sticks, Boston, all that stuff, um, Chicago, all of the good stuff, uh, a bit of a bit of uh, Def Leppard, but I wasn't as into them then as I am now, um, although I'm not as giant of a fan as you might think. I don't know their names. Uh, I know that one of the, the drummers got like one arm. Anyway, uh, I still don't understand any of the words that the Def Leppard sings. Um, and I jack that loud and I just run around, jump around my room acting like I was the rocker, you know, the lead singer, uh, performing on stage, lip syncing the whole time. And sometimes I'd actually sing along and try to work on my rock and roll voice. Still not there, you know, and maybe we'll never get there now that I'm a 45 year old man. And, um, yeah, so that, I mean, it was nice to have that little more privacy that I could do that. And I was able to do that in that room. Um, it's good. Good to have a bit more of my own space. But a fun and interesting thing about easing in and easing out and why that is the um, part of the title is that we seemed to ease in and out of those houses, uh, just kind of not under the watchful eye anymore. Uh, Vanessa would kind of ease in or out of a door or a window. We'd cover for her. Asta might do that as well uh, for whatever her interests were. Uh, and then Ananda and Johanna would do that, go on down to the promenade and meet with friends. Um, and I think some of the boys would, Mark would do that, I believe. Um, I think Isaac was doing that. I don't know. I don't know that Manuel was doing that, honestly. Um, maybe he was. I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, and we tended to cover for each other, but I did it the least, actually. I, I found myself probably constrained mostly by fear, but I was able to reason away the fear and the shame that might have come with that fear to say to myself, you know what? Somebody's got to be the webmaster here. Somebody's got to, got to, you know, manipulate the adults and cover for all these guys who are going in and out of this house and these houses. And so I would, I, I, I styled myself as that and fancied myself as the guy who could cover for everybody. So 
my lying came back when needed. You know, it was a powerful, powerful, pow- you know, ability that I had to, uh, to, to lie and to convince people and make people think that what I was saying was true. Probably gaslighted here and there. You know, um, luckily I only used those powers for good. Or was it good? Because sometimes those kids got into some big trouble. There was this funny one time, though, that Ananda got in trouble because she had, she had snuck out. And I think she'd gone down to the promenade. And uh, she was yelled at, of course. Um, and she's a dear friend. Uh, to this day, I consider her a, basically a sister um, without being a biological sister. Uh, beautiful young, uh, beautiful woman. She's got s- s- three beautiful daughters. She's a great lady. Uh, but back in the days, you know, she got in trouble for sneaking out. And um, I chewed her out when she was done getting in trouble with an adult. I chewed her out saying, Ananda, I'm right here and I could have helped you. I could have helped you avoid the trouble. What you've done has made it harder for all of us. Now their eye is going to be heavier on all of us for a while. It's going to be tougher for everybody. I mean, <laughs> it's a little concentration campy in a way. I don't want to, I don't want to lessen or diminish, you know, that terrible experience that, that was a concentration camp. But it was like now, now, you know, we have to be more careful. You know, our escape efforts and crap like that have to be more um, carefully planned and executed and stuff. That was kind of dingusy of me, right? Uh, thinking that I was the boss of everything um, and stuff, which is very, very silly. Um, so uh, it, all that to say that we, we found ourselves able to ease in and out a little more. Um, I believe that um, Asa and Bart were living with us for a while there too, but not for long. Because, I mean, I do remember them being in Chattington and being part of a being chewed outness, um, and then uh, Bart being kicked out of there. Um, Chattington had a pool too. That's right. Yeah, El Santo didn't, which is a shame because I love swimming. Uh, but um, being kicked out and to go sit out on the back deck where there was a pool, um, and uh, being told that he would come back in, he he should come back in when he was ready to apologize. Um, he just sat out there, calm and <laughs> chill as you can imagine. He's such a fun dude. And um, <laughs> finally, Lucia sent Jason out to, to talk to him. And Barton, I, and the other, some of the other boys, Ace particularly, had been training on our weights and stuff for a long time. There was no physical damage these people could do to us anymore. There was no physical intimidation possible. And so you see Jason loom over Bart, and Bart just smiles at him. Um, and Jason comes back in and says, he says he's not ready <laughs> to apologize, which was hilarious because Bart wasn't. And that just finally slid, you know, it slid by. We found ourselves able to have things just slide off ourselves a little more. Um, able to just not worry so much about things. Um, Lucia was out of her mind. She seemed to be losing her mind in many ways. It was while we lived up there that we, uh, she, she started visiting Palestine and Israel and acting like she was talking and being a part of Yasser Arafat's work over there, which is crazy. She came back and she told these wild tales of being with Yasser Arafat, which, you know, I probably believed at the time, but there's no way. There's no way. That's zany. Um, but she was. She would often harangue those poor adults um, who were fundraising, telling them that they uh, couldn't come back until they'd met their minimum, um, telling them, you know, we could hear them yell, her yelling at them. Uh, from upstairs in the in the um, where the the kids lived, in that in that house the girls lived, um, yeah. And uh, that it was interesting though because I guess they were so distracted that we were able to get out and do more more stuff. And uh, on that note, I will tell a final story, and um, this will be that. You know that'll be that for 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 the, for the episode. Uh, number one, 
um, I started just taking longer walks. Uh, this was a safer area, and I would just walk all over the place. Um, I, when I had the money, I, I just, I walked around and found the right flower shop so that I could, you know, order that dozen roses that I sent to Sharon over in uh, Scotland that one time, which I mentioned in the episode. But, um, you know, this still wasn't the easiest of lives. And teenagers are already angsty, difficult people sometimes, you know, albeit generally good people. Um, and so I found myself needing to express myself a lot. And I started writing more poetry um, and uh, thinking about love even more. And um, sometimes good old Jared would get his boom box. I got a bit, pretty good one, shove it full of batteries and then get a tape and stick it in there. And I would walk the streets <laughs> of that suburb, you know, Chattington and El Santo and so on, blasting my music. Um, at like eight and nine o'clock at night when it was dark, I uh, had a great time just trying to ignore the people who'd come to their windows or their doors to see what was going on with the music as I strolled on by, you know, pretending I didn't care about the attention I was getting, just being lost in myself. Uh, I did that. I, I blasted Red Rain um, from Peter Gabriel, of course, uh, doing that. I have a vivid memory of doing that. Uh, not in the rain. I wasn't going to get my boombox uh, wet. But I, I was walking up the road that connected El Santo to Chattington. Um, they, they ran parallel about, I don't know, eight or ten blocks apart. And uh, you know, blasting red rain and singing along, red rain is coming down. Um, and I have a very fun, vivid memory of as I get to one street that I was going to cross to, uh, a housewife in shorts uh, and a shirt of some kind opens her front door and just kind of glares at me and I act like I don't see her, but I see her and I hang her right and it wasn't on Chattington, it's some other street and walk down that street to kind of get out from under her glare. Uh, but yeah, so housewife, ma'am, if you happen to be listening to this, that was me. Uh, and um, you know what? I'm not sorry. I hope I didn't wake up your kid, but you know, I needed to express myself. So I did. Uh, and that is kind of the extent of the angsty uh, emo guy that I was walking around blasting red rain. And sometimes, you know what, just like in Say Anything, I would play in your eyes. I love that song. I had nobody to play it to, but I styled myself as having somebody to play it to. So uh, that's the end of the episode. Promenade, easing in and out, Richardson. It was like a very nice step towards finding my way out of there. And um, just to kind of help you understand, uh, it was during that time that I started making my plan to get out. And my plan to get out will be unfolded to you in just a couple more episodes. And I'll talk a little bit more about how I got, what happened after. Um, and maybe I'll share another episode uh, or a chapter of the, the memoir. But that's, we're coming to the end here, my friends. We're, we're almost done with this, this, uh, this show. So I appreciate you tuning in. I think we've got just a few more episodes and then we'll, we'll be done. Uh, as always, thank you for your support. Click on the support this uh, podcast link if it's there on your podcast player. It's going to want some money, but you don't have to do that. That's okay. Review it. Talk to your friends. Share it with your friends. Instagram, tag me, Tales from a Cult Insider, jared at jaredgarrett.com. Uh, again, on Instagram, I'm just jared.n.garrett, and on Twitter, I'm at jaredgarrett. I'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear from you. My days are long and busy, and every time I could possibly hear from someone that helps me out, I love it. 
So, and lastly, I did, again, query those agents, and I'm going to query more agents. Still trying to get an agent for my memoir, which I did a good revision on. Happy about it. Okay, until next time, uh, stay thirsty, stay hungry, and really, keep your heads up. The world is beautiful. I'll see you on the flip side, my friends.